Welcome to How to Decorate from Ballard Designs, a podcast all about the trials and triumphs of decorating and redecorating your home. Each week, we'll help you unleash your inner decorator. I'm Caroline, and I'm on the marketing team. And I'm Taryn, and I'm a product designer. And I'm Liz. I head up the Ballard creative team. We're your host. Join the expert team at Ballard Designs for tips, tricks, and tales from interior designers, stylists, and other talents in the design world. Plus, we'll answer a listener question at the end of each show. So don't forget to send them to podcast at ballarddesigns.net. Yes, we love answering them. Now, on with the show. Okay, so we're excited to welcome Ginger Curtis of Urbanology Designs to the show today. Ginger's passionate about helping others elevate their home's beauty, comfort, and function to create a stunning design. She has appeared on several TV and radio shows, podcasts, featured in over 100 magazines and digital publications. Her new book, Beauty by Design, is available nationwide. And most recently, Ginger was recognized the winner of HGTV's Designer of the Year Awards for her tiny home transformation. So we thought that was a fantastic jumping off point to talk about living large and small spaces because a tiny house. You can't, you don't get much smaller than that. So we are hoping to extract some great tips from Ginger today that we can all apply to our small spaces that you put into practice in your tiny home design. So Ginger, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for that lovely introduction, Caroline. First, maybe you could kind of kick off a little bit and talk to us about the origin of this project. I mean, Typically, you would be working on very large homes in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So mm-hmm. I imagine it was quite mm-hmm. a, a change to 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 work on this tiny home project that is probably just a fraction of even just like the living room in one of your normal projects. Oh, I, absolutely. It's like a glorified closet in, in some aspects. But this project was interesting. It was located on my property. It was an old garden shed that was sort of just, you know, run down and all the things that you think of in a garden shed, including like skeletons from creatures that had, you know, burrowed in there and never made it out. I mean, it was there were some discoveries that I made to my horror as I cleaned out that old shed. And so it started with, it was, it was, I had a birthday coming up and my dear husband, you said, Ginger, what do you want for your birthday this year? And I said, well, I want a bungalow. And he was like, what is a bungalow? (laughs) And I was like, well, I think we might be able to create one with the old shed. And that's really where the project started. And so we had about six weeks to completely gut it, create a loft, waterproof it, seal it, sheetrock it, uh, put in beautiful French white oak flooring. I mean, and, you know, it, it seemed it seemed a little crazy to put French white oak European flooring in, in an old shed. But now that you guys have seen the pictures, you, you understand, you know, when there's a vision and it comes together, it just, it, you know, we Mm. made, we made some really good decisions along the way, including some of the foundational elements. And so all that to say, the project was very personal, very special. I really got to pour my little heart into it. And then it was just, it was also meaningful because my husband was just insistent on doing all of the manual labor. And we're, we're both business owners. We, we have a million children. It's not like we have the time, but he just, he wanted to do this for me. And it was such a gift. And, you know, we, we were up there with, in the loft with my best friend hanging wallpaper and it was 100, 110 degrees in there. And we're all sweltering and dying. And we oh felt like this gosh. deadline. Um, that was fast approaching. And so, so many m- moments, so many memories, so many stories. It is probably one of the most special projects I've ever done. Oh my gosh, then how wonderful it that is. it won awards because it, 
it really made it worth it for you to put in all six that weeks? blood, sweat, and tears in there. It's well, six weeks. Yeah. And six. So guys, the reason why there's this like, you know, it's like, well, if it's my house, why was there a deadline? There's no client on the other edge of it. Well, right the week after we started getting that project and had already started ordering things for it, um, we sold our home and we, we no. all of a sudden we were moving. <laughs> And that was sort of out of the blue. We moved to a new property with six acres that was just down a sleepy little hill, just totally wooded and private and quiet. And so it was kind of like either stay in the neighborhood and keep my bungalow or give up the bungalow and move to like paradise. So I, when I tell you that I called 2,500 companies to see who could move the bungalow shed for me, I was like, I don't care how much it costs. I, they said, Ginger, if we try to move it, it'll literally fall apart. Like it's built into this retainer wall. It's, it's on a, and they just said, it's not, but it's too tall. I mean, all of the things I was like, if you can move actual houses, why can't you move a shed? I just, you know, and so finally, you know, I just, I had to um, admit defeat and but that did not stop the project from going forward. It was one of those things where I said, this is a vision and a dream of my heart. We're still going to do it. And I am a million percent so, so happy. Never in a thousand years did we ever dream that it would win, you know, first place for HGTV's Designer of the Year and, and kind of garner so much attention. Okay. So since you're not typically working within such limited space, what sorts of things did you learn designing in a limited footprint? that you don't normally need to do in, in the big homes that you typically work for on for your clients? You know, it's really like, you know, a lot of bang for your buck. How can you uh, use a space that is very multifunctional? And so I had this little dream in my heart that it, that the little downstairs area wasn't just going to be a lounge space, but I imagined sitting in there with my girlfriends, eating pizza, drinking wine, jamming out to music. And I was like, I want a dining space. I want a living and a dining space. And so you know, to, to get that kind of functionality, I had to think very creatively, um, about all the pieces that went in there, the scale, the size, uh, really everything. And so it, it, what started as a challenge really actually opened the door to incredible opportunities that you wouldn't normally think of because you're just kind of following A, B, C. Well, when you don't have like just a blank canvas and a normal size square footage, you know, it really forces you to think creatively. And out of that came not just one loft, but two lofts and a really beautiful sort of like bookshelf ladder situation and the ability to tuck in this little tiny dining nook and then have the little sitting area kind of upfront and cozy. And so I think that's probably my biggest takeaway was the amount of offer opportunities that presented themselves through challenges. Yeah. So multifunctional, that seems like overall, I guess, guideline when people are working within small spaces, making sure that things work for more than one use. Do you have a couple of examples in the tiny home? You mentioned the ladder, which could you describe this to people? Because I do feel like it is a great example of that, but our, our listeners are, aren't able to see it. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. So it's got two little separate lofts. One is sort of a, um, it's a full size bed and it's got books up there. And so you could, you know, you could climb up there and rest, take a nap. My teenage daughters could have a sleepover in there. And then the other side is more of like a chest nook with like a little day bed and a big window that overlooks just the pool and the greenery. And it's really, really pretty. And so I wanted, there certainly was not 
space for stairs. Um, but I also didn't want to build two permanent kind of like ladders. And so I created one ladder design that was actually movable. So you can move it from one side or the other, depending on where you want to lounge in the little bungalow. And then when it's not in use and nobody's, it's just the adults and, you know, no one's climbing up to the little loft areas. You can literally lean it against the wall and use it as a really beautiful bookshelf. So it, it acts, it acts as decor. It's beautiful in the space when it's not being used as a ladder. When it is a ladder, it can be, it's, it was designed the weight of it and, and that any of our kids could take it and move it from one side or the other. That's amazing because it is a bigger piece. So yeah talking about moving it and your kids being able to move it that's that's pretty amazing like how it has to be balanced and it's a beautiful mm -hmm. ladder it really is i mean the whole space is so gorgeous i love how you used um the books in the the loft with the larger bed so instead of a traditional kind of bookcase you turned all the books spine inwards so you don't see any spines of the books and you just see the leaves of the books and it, it looks more like wallpaper. Mm -hmm. It's like than, an exit wall. Mm -hmm. It's so much more of a, of a pattern and texture. Mm -hmm. just... it, it very much is about texture in that space. And, and one of the, I, the thoughts with the, sort of the book wall, well, first of all, how we did it was in, just to your point, Liz, we didn't create a standard like bookshelf. We really took the studs of the wall, you know, the, the two by four studs and we built them out. We just extended them out of the wall to create these recesses so the books could fill, fit into it. So it really was meant to be like a part of the wall, which we achieved that. And it was very, very much an experiment. And I was like, is this the craziest, stupid thing I've ever done? Or is this actually genius? You know, because sometimes those are very borderline things. <laughs> and, you know, kind of one of my thoughts is I imagined, you know, my kids climbing up there and having a quiet moment and, and grabbing a book off of the shelf and, um, you know, and, and, and finding just kind of randomly grabbing until they find something that like caught their attention and then having like a permanent marker and they could just write the title of the book on the, the pages, the, uh, not the spine, but the, uh, the exposed the pages, you know? Um, so like Peter Pan or w w whatever. And, and just imagining that over time I could see my kids handwriting and then the book slowly one by one get like labeled. And then it, it, it just keeps transforming it keeps doing its own thing now of course we we never really got to do that so just as is it it looks lovely but there was there was this whole thoughtfulness behind it I love that and I hope that you can have that in your new space do you have any sort of information about what the current owners are doing with the bungalow so um I so it's funny I we we have a lot of mutual friends, but we've actually never met in person. And so my sister lives three houses up the street from my old house. And so that they're now neighbors. And, um, and it's, it's always like, what's happening with the house, you know? And so she, um, she does yoga and Pilates. And so I think she's using it as like her own little personal studio. Oh, that's awesome. That's perfect. It's such a light and airy, beautiful mm -hmm. space. I could totally see that that would be an amazing space to have a meditation room. And yeah, I think she claimed that for herself right away. <laughs> Good for her. Uh, do people call something like this a she shed or is that seen as a negative connotation? I don't like the word she shed. I, because to me when, you know, it feels a little kitschy and I don't, you know, and For to sure. me, the bungalow, that's why I called it a bungalow. I mean, it's not actually a, 
bungalow. It kind of is, but it's definitely not a shed. It's not mm-hmm. a she shed. It's not quite. It's so I needed something that sort of separated it to really honor like how elevated it actually is. You know what I mean? So I feel like she shed is a good terminology for that, like that broad, like, hey, this is my girl space and it's detached from the house. And that applies to like a lot of different things. I think even if I was creating a she shed for somebody, I would a thousand percent give it a different name. <laughs> One of the things you mentioned in the um, in the HGTV, I guess, interview or something was symmetry. Can you talk to us about why symmetry is important when working in a small space? And are there any other sort of guiding principles like symmetry that small space dwellers should keep in mind as they're as they're furnishing their their homes? Well, I think really both are up for grabs. I think there's always as far as symmetry and asymmetry, I think both can really be be lovely in different environments. I think it's kind of the vibe that you're you're trying to create because in the bungalow you'll you'll kind of see both. You'll see some symmetrical moments and you'll see a lot of asymmetrical moments. Um, even with sort of like the gallery wall that's happening um, on the back wall, like it's not perfectly you know, and it just creates it creates interest and um, enhances that elevation. But I would say in instances where you want to create sort of like a grounding factor so that you can do some other cool moments. Symmetry really could have a very foundational role uh, because you don't want something to feel wonky or Mickey Mouse or too busy. So it's kind of, it's always about that balance, right? Choosing is, are you going to create some symmetry in your foundations or is it going to be in your styling and your, your accessories? I love the furniture that you chose for this space. It's all really thoughtful, modern current, but it, it's all kind of round too. In this little in this little square space, this little rectangular space. Can mm-hmm. you talk to us a little bit about the choices of furniture that you made and like some some things to think about when you're looking at a small space? Well, two things. One, you said modern. I think, you know, modern can sometimes feel a little cold. And so I definitely love modern, but I like more of a relaxed modern. So staying away from like the sharp edges and corners and things like that, give it more of a relaxed feel and vibe and and really almost help it to feel a little bit more cozy, which I think adds a ton of value. The other thing that's kind of like very practical to the space is that it is a tiny little itty bitty space. And if there were sharp corners and things like that, and you're sort of, you know, kind of tucking through and maneuvering and coming in and out, You just, you know, you want to be able to do that seamlessly without having to worry about bumping into anything. And so it's really a function. It's really form and function uh, for that space. The modern pieces in there don't feel cold at all. Like this whole space is so light and airy. And I love that that juxtaposition of it being all dark on the outside and painted black on the exterior. But as soon as you walk in, it's just so completely filled with light and all the white walls and the the warmth and texture that's in every piece that you curated and put in there is just gorgeous. Thank you. I think that it's it's really special because it allows us to introduce this concept of relaxed, warm, modern to people. And they can look at the bungalow and be like, oh my gosh, this is, I, I love this. And it kind of opens their mind to to items and, you know, beautiful products that they might have bypassed looking at it as a one-off. But when you curate something and you pull together these pieces, it's sort of like, you know, an artist's palette, like each brushstroke, each impression, each 
indention on that piece of art adds that 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 character for that overall thing to come out as a masterpiece. And you know, I think oftentimes people really get hyper focused on a piece when really, if you can just stretch your mind to think about the whole composition, that you know, when those pieces come together, do they really sing in harmony? And when they do, you just you get these fantastical results that almost anybody can appreciate. Whether your design style is transitional, traditional, relaxed, modern, all the different things. It's such a vibe that feels cozy and welcoming. You can, you can speak to um, a wide audience, which is fascinating because it is so specific. I wanted to talk a little bit about the art that you choose to put in these, in a lot of your spaces, but the space in particular, it seems that you find a lot of antique or found older paintings or pieces. Um, talk to me about that kind of style choice and and what it does for a space well the art is probably the most special story in the creating and the making of the bungalow project because most of the artwork that you see was all hand painted and watercolors by my grandfather and he was a phenomenal artist. He's, he's since passed away and I never, um, had access to any of his artworks until, uh, until after he was gone. And so as my mom started sending me, um, art and I started falling in love and she just saw like what a connection I had to it. She basically just gifted me his, almost his entire collection of artwork, which is hundreds of pieces. And, uh, he, he was colorblind. And the fact that he could paint these landscapes of Carmel and Big Sur and Monterey heat, that's where, my, my grandparents lived was Carmel in California. So stunningly beautiful. I spent my summers there as a kid. And so I would see these, these landscape paintings that my grandfather did and he would write the location. Like it would say Big Sur and it would say Point Lomas and all these things. And I remember like hiking on that trail and, and experiencing that and reliving it through my, my grandpa's paintings has just been like, it, it's hard to describe um, how incredibly meaningful it is to be able to honor him and even honor my mom. I mean, my mom is just like beside herself, just that, that I, I, you know, was just so attracted and drawn to these, to these paintings and they're beautiful. They're, they're so beautiful. And my grandpa framed all of them, you know, so I just took every piece the the, you know, whether it was a really expensive frame, some of them have like dollar 99 cent cheap janky frames. I mean, it is a hodgepodge of things happening with those frames. And I said, I am going to make it work and just create this really beautiful gallery wall. Um, I think there's maybe one piece in there that I was at a client's house one time and we were walking through and they were about to do kind of like a big, um, they were, you know, purging a bunch of stuff to get ready for the new stuff coming. And I saw a piece that was on their wall and I commented on like how weird and cool and stunning. They were like, Oh, you can have it. And I was like, I, my jaw dropped. I was like, you're going to give me that? Like one man's trash is another man's treasure. And I, scoop that thing right off the wall and, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> ran you out know. the door <laughs> I, I was like bye no Dixie's maxis <laughs> I mean and it just it was it was just it, you know it came from a client it was a fun story it was something you know that I loved and it just it makes me happy that beauty can be found in so many different areas we don't have to put it in a box you know and just the full expression of creativity and so um the, all the art in there is just uh, very meaningful. Wow, that is such a much better story than I could have ever imagined. I'm so glad you have that connection it with your so grandfather's good. work. I know it's so stunning. I also just loved the like the way that you arranged it on the wall. You were talking a little bit about symmetry and asymmetry in a way. It's symmetrical, and then it's also 
asymmetrical. So I was just curious, there's a window in the middle of this wall. And so the art sort of like is on either side of the window, but it kind of is like wider at the top and narrower at the bottom, if that makes sense. And I wasn't sure if like, I just thought that was a really unusual way to arrange the artwork, and it, but it looks so pretty if there was a, a reason that you did it that way or what the reason was. It still feels yes. very balanced. So that's it. Who said balanced? That that is a hundred percent. It there's a way to. So when you're do when you're really embracing asymmetry, like the whole point is not to to just create it to be random. It's really like to create balance. And I think that's something that often people don't realize is that you can do something asymmetrical and different to purposely create balance in a space. And that is exactly what was happening with the art on that wall. And if I had done a very, like just because you guys have seen the space, you're right. It's it's a, a beautiful white wall. There's a bench underneath, a small window in the middle and flanking the window, there's this gorgeous sort of like mixed match artwork and it's not perfectly spaced and it's, it's um it's not you know a set of three pictures uh, and then a set of three you know pieces underneath it and um, just imagine now that you've seen this space like how kind of flat that would feel if it was perfectly symmetrical symmetrical and um this this creates a little bit of whimsy and interest but also still embracing balance well it's kind of i imagine it's kind of like being an artist in that it, well you know, for our listeners who are wanting to do a gallery wall, like they have, you have to practice that balanced asymmetry. But if you were to look at like your favorite piece of artwork, you would probably see that in the artwork. You know, art is not usually symmetrical, but if you kind of observe the composition, it's usually balanced on either side and top to bottom, light and dark. You know, it's kind of just, I feel like people could take their favorite painting and if they really study it, they could apply those same principles to their gallery wall that they're building. If that makes sense. Absolutely. And give some kind of permission and freedom to embrace that, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. But the other thing that you have going on in this room is that every other furniture piece in, in this area where we have this asymmetrical gallery wall is creating symmetry and kind of framing yeah. the, the asymmetrical gallery wall out. So... How do we find that balance of, of like, when do we choose symmetry versus asymmetry? Hmm. I think, you know, for me, I rely heavily on my instincts. That doesn't help a single person out there in this universe. So let me think <laughs> on that. <laughs> I know so, so much is like, like when I was writing my book, it was just like pulling, 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 you know, trying to like articulate that thing that right. comes within. There's a reason, you know, but when something comes so innately to you and you just do the brushstrokes and then it's that, you know, and so, um, when to use symmetry versus asymmetry, I, I feel like, um, this is what I would say, and it comes down so much less to any design uh, principles or do's or don'ts or facts of design or anything like that. And it kind of, I, for me, it's much more personal and what you grab, what your eye gravitates, what makes your heart pitter patter. I think innately we either prefer the balance of true symmetry and there, and then there's some of us who innately lean in and wildly prefer asymmetry. For me, I am a asymmetrical girl all day long. I will continually try to shift things to create asymmetry 
symmetry to bring a new and creative balance to a room. But again, it's not right or wrong. Both are really lovely. I, I've met a lot of homeowners and they're like, tuck, 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 tuck. And I'm like, I can work with that because then I can take accessories and different things in the room and create asymmetry to create that balance. Because imagine if a house was perfectly symmetrical, uh, the architectural structure of it, and then everything in the room was perfectly symmetrical. And then all these accessories were so placed, it would feel so boring and flat. And so I think like choosing to where you want to mix. If, if your house is, um, this is, this is, it's all coming together for me now. I think this is going to be much more helpful, helpful. If your house is, you've got an elevation and let's say it's the fireplace wall and it does feel very symmetrical and the fireplace is in the middle and you've got either windows flanking on the left or the right or built-ins on the left or right. So that would be a great instance to embrace some asymmetry, um, in, in maybe the layout of the furniture. Don't do two sofas facing each other. Think about doing a sofa and chair comp combination, right? Since you've already got that massive sort of asymmetrical foundation happening. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Totally. It seems like really you should have a little of both in every room. It's just deciding mm -hmm. what is your symmetrical and what is your, your asymmetrical. So yeah, I feel mm -hmm. like if you kind of start mm -hmm. with your foundation, that seems like maybe if you do have a wonky foundation, you know, like your room is kind of strange or the layout strange, then you add the symmetry to balance that, you know. Yeah. Exactly. Like I could just like the first thing that comes to mind is who has a corner fireplace? Like, oh my gosh, the people, like people lose their minds over those corner fireplaces, <laughs> you know, because it's, it kind of throws the room mm -hmm. off, you know? And so that could be an area where you say, okay, where can I create some symmetry elsewhere in mm -hmm. this space? Yeah, that makes sense. I, w I had some questions about the color or we're really kind of in the tiny house, the lack of color. And I was curious, you know, in your personal work, you do a lot of neutral um, spaces, but do you feel like color is off limits in a small space? Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I felt like I wanted this to feel ultra relaxed, very, very, very relaxed. And I didn't want the stimulation to come from color. And so that was very intentional, but I love the use of color and pops of color used very, very strategically. And I think you can all day long use color in a small space. Is it most people's probably concern with having a small space is just it not becoming too busy. So are there things that we should keep in mind when introducing color, but in a way that won't take over and feel too, too much for a small room? So yeah, I would say, you know, a primary color and then two complementing um, secondary colors. So not five, not eight, not 12, like keep it to three. That's a good rule of thumb. And so you've got your foundation, whether it's a dark blue or whether it's a pastel or something really fun happening and then pepper in those little hits of other colors that really complement it. Because once you start getting past that, then it, it can start kind of just feeling a little overwhelming in a very small space because your eye is looking at a lot at one time it's taking in quite a view okay I love that if if we could kind of like narrow it down a little more okay if I have my three colors and it's a pie chart how much of each color is in the chart is in the pie chart or is like a piece of the pie you know what I'm saying are we doing like three quarters of <laughs> yeah, the pie okay. is your main color so like yeah I would say three three quarters of the pie is your main color and then split the difference for your two um uh, supporting colors okay Okay. And if you ask me to do any more math outside of that, the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> Next is fractions. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
actually live by a rule that I don't do math after 4.30. I just don't. <laughs> well, would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about your book? Because kind of went into this that planning to talk about small spaces, but I do feel like your book and sort of the story behind it is um, a great, I'm sure they would love to hear it. So. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll, I'll kind of back up and just start with um, a little bit of my story and background and, and kind of even how not only my book was birthed, but really the the design firm in, in and of itself. And so I was actually on the tail end of chemotherapy. I had done about 18 months of chemo for an aggressive breast cancer that had spread. I was, I was, I think I was only 33 at the time and I had just had my fifth child um, who was five months old. And previous to that, my, my daughter um, had just finished tr treatment and chemo for leukemia. So it was just these like back to back diagnoses of, you know, a small child and then, you know, and then myself. And it was really kind of unimaginable. And that opened my eyes to the impact that my environment and my home had on me in a very big way because I spent a lot of time in my home. I mean, there were some days I literally couldn't walk across the room. I was so just fraught with just weakness and I could, some days I could feel my bones aching. I just, I didn't understand that that kind of pain was, was possible. And it was a difficult season of my life. And I started realizing that the comforts of my home, the, the things that I had done to be intentional to create a space that was beautiful and, and nurturing to, to my soul, my heart, and to my family also really helped me through the, the healing process and the journey that I was on. And it just, it was just like this aha moment, this light bulb went off. And I thought, gosh, you shouldn't have to be fighting the battle of a lifetime for your home to be a place that nourishes your soul, to, for your home to be a true reprieve and a place of beauty. And so in the book, you know, one of my favorite chapters is titled, You Are Worthy. You're worthy of beauty. And I think so many times as women, we're so focused on the task and the day-to-day -day and the, the needs and the demands as, you know, that we have in our life. Um, you know, we, we all, I think, a lot of us want our homes to be really lovely and we have a connection with that, but we don't always feel that we're worthy of that. And I think that's a, a really powerful and important message. And so, so much of the book came out of that place in my heart where just, just a reminder and an encouragement to women that yes, you are so worthy of beauty and the environment, the environment that you live in an environment that you raise your family in and you host gatherings and where you lay your head at night, like that cannot not impact us in a really huge way. And if that's the case, then, then why not be intentional and lean into what sparks joy in our life and in our heart? Yeah, such an incredible journey that you have been on and um, just a document for people too. How do you, you know, you speak to having, again, it making such an impact on you. Were there things that you found that made like visually that made your life better? Like your specific detail, if you're like not leaving your room, what was it that made you so happy? The natural light, a hundred percent. And so I remember like before I was diagnosed, I didn't realize what was going to be in front of me. I, I was, I was designing a home that just, that made me happy and felt pleasant, but little did I know the impact it would have on this journey of like, really this fight that I was going to be in. And I just remember laying down either on my bed or on the sofa for five, six hours straight some days. I, I, you know, and I would just watch just that natural light filter through and, um, and how I had been 
thoughtful to, you know, what, what I was doing with the treatments on the windows to really like embrace natural light and really let it in. And what I have found over the years is so many people live in darkness. You would be surprised at how many homes I go into and it's just dark. The windows are drawn, the shades are down, the lights are off or dim. And it's kind of like, there's all sorts of like incredible research out there that talks about the power of like vitamin D and natural sunlight on our psyche, our sleep, our mood. I mean, the, the, the data and the research is out there. And so I think to be able to, you know, draw my own personal experiences and then be able to walk into homes of my clients and say, Hey guys, <laughs> the first thing that I do is I draw and every single shade goes up, every light goes on. And I was like, let's see what we're working with. And I think sometimes people can get really used to almost living in, you know, like a darker space. And I hear all the things, oh, my electricity bill, or oh, it's hot, or oh, it's all. I'm like, guys, there are solutions for all of those things. Like you do not have to live, you know, in, in a dark space. But I would say light, the ability to harness like the natural light coming into my house, you know, and it's free. It's your best absolute tool that you could ever wield out of your little toolbox. And, and it's absolutely free. And so there's ways being very thoughtful for with window treatments and things like that. And I would say, if you don't have great natural lighting in your house, there's things that you can do in my, um, the new house that we're living in now, when we moved, I have a little guest cottage. It's very bungalow-ish and, but it was dark it was, it was just, it was dark because it's got this big covered porch. And so I, instead of spending kajillions of dollars on a, um, on a skylight, I actually installed solar tubes and it was a really affordable solution. And it's these round lights that, 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 that go in in the ceiling and through the roof. And it was much more economical and it provided like a lot of light in the space. And so, you know, I, I think that um, great lighting is absolutely foundational to, uh, to any home, any space, big or small. Yeah. What about artificial lighting? Well, I love artificial lighting because it's pretty <laughs> as far as like the decorative <laughs> element of like beautiful, beautiful lighting. And so I don't like my artificial lighting as far as like the bulb and the Kelvins like to be too orange or yellow, um, that there's just nothing worse than this bright orange glow on your beautiful, crisp white walls. It just, it's not. And so getting a really soft, warm white that feels a little bit more natural um, but there's certainly a place for decorative for decorative lighting, not only from a functional standpoint as the sun goes down and then your house gets glowy and that ambient ambient lighting really does something for the space. But then also I think that uh, really intentional, beautiful lighting adds such a design element that it's like, it's like when a girl puts on mascara, you know, it's like the, yeah. it's like, it's just, you know, it's like, that's what a great light fixture <laughs> will do for a room. It yeah. just like enhances everything. Totally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. What's your favorite Kelvin? <laughs> My favorite Kelvin. Yeah. Kelvin. Sorry. Oh gosh. Oh gosh. I don't know. You don't know. I was just wondering because you, you felt very specifically about the color and I was like, I bet she knows what's her favorite number. But I, I, I don't think I have a favorite Kelvin, but I'm going to find out what my favorite Kelvin is because I like the way that you said that. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you have a favorite color? Now, now the favorite color. Yeah. So the, what I used to, if you asked me that five years ago, I would tell you my favorite color and it was my favorite color since I was a little kid, hands down, no problem. And what then every that? year that goes by, it was blue. It was, uh, I was like, I, blue is always blue. my favorite color. And yep. then every year that goes by. And as I get older, I'm like, it's impossible. 
absolutely yeah. impossible, especially more and more as we've embraced the use of different colors and mood and, and, you know, the way that that can really impact and transform a room. I just refuse to pick a favorite because they all have just such a magnificence and you can just take a single color and go up or down in, you know, with, with the hue and get something really special. If you want something more light and fresh and airy, or um, even sort of those deep moody colors that just evoke something inside of you. And um, man, I, I can't pick a favorite. That's okay. I just was wondering why you said that. And that's fair. I can't pick a favorite these days either. I feel like there's just too many good ones and my mood totally changes too, like you said. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I'll, yeah. I'll probably be like, in what application are we talking? <laughs> that's exactly true too. That's, that, that's a whole nother story, right? We just took it to the next level. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like what you dress yourself in too. Mm -hmm. And I know they, there's correlations. We always talk about how, you know, your home and what you wear, but at the same time, I definitely feel like my wardrobe has more colors than my home. I mean, so I, I said blue is my favorite color. I'm wearing a blue blazer and a blue <laughs> t-shirt. And so I'm like, <laughs> that's true. So, so blue is still <laughs> in my life, but I have nothing blue in my home. You know, I have other hits of color. I have a lot more greens these days. Love just sage greens, dark forest greens. Uh, I still love blue. I'm not opposed to it, but I would rather think I would have that more in like my artwork and kind of like that natural green color from the outdoors, kind of bringing that inside. I color so fun. I feel like your your closet's so much easier to have fun with color because it's more temporary. You know what I mean? Like you can take it off. Whereas your sofa color or your paint mm -hmm. color, like you're not changing that or taking it off at the you're end of the day. You're not changing it often. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So for me, like my wardrobe, as I would say, I, I do have a lot of um, neutrals, but I love like a funky pair of heels or like a bright pattern scarf. And to take like that foundation and like zhuzh it up with a little pop mm -hmm. of color and a little personality. But I also feel like blue is such an easy color to work. Like think about your blue jeans. Like that's a neutral, you know, everyone's got a hundred pairs of blue jeans. And so it's, and it's, everything goes with your blue jeans. So it's easy to work blue into mm. your home because it already goes with every other color. I don't know. That's how, that's how I feel about it. But mm -hmm. yeah, it's so, so, so funny. Like you're right. Blue jeans. It's like, hello, we all have blue, but then also, but then also green is so easy to work into your home because it's already outside. Well, so when it's outside behind your mm -hmm. windows, yeah, I think blue's the same way. Yeah. You already mm -hmm. have blue and green outside your window more than likely probably brown mm -hmm. too. Generally speaking, True. Liz, what colors you got mm. over there? I saw you look outside. <laughs> I know. I'm like looking well, outside. I know it has green because well, there's a green cast to your room. Like your room. There's a green cast. Yeah. 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 Which is something that I deal with with this, with the room that I'm in all the time because I get this room has a green cast because of all of the leaves that are outside. Mm -hmm. And so mm. it's kind of bouncing this extra color that I don't necessarily want in my room. Yeah. So I guess it really probably makes all That's the colors it. you put in there look really different than what they would out in. Yeah. You know, which again goes back to your point of like, let's see what we're working with this, with the natural light, true. you know, yeah, so my natural light has a green cast to it. Okay. So mm -hmm. how do you, how do you work off of that? Like say what Liz just yes, said, how? like, I don't want a green cast. Because I'm actually dealing with a red cast because I'm building a house and the red Georgia clay is because the landscaping hasn't been done is like reflecting on my white house. And 
I don't know if it's changing how I feel about the white because I know it won't be red clay once it's landscaped. Mm -hmm. So very similar of like how, and I was thinking, how do I fight? Now it won't be red eventually, but to your point, like how do I play off if it's green for say, how do Mm -hmm. I make it more neutral? So one of that's a great area to really utilize technology and how far lighting has come with the way that you can order special bulbs that the the um, the warmth of the light actually can change so you can adjust it so the oranges and the yellows and the reds that are in that bulb can can move up and down and so when you're having a real real issue because cast is coming in um, colors or reflecting bouncing all the different things it is a real, real, real thing. People don't understand how important it is to consider that fact. Or they get online and they see a great picture of paint in a house and they're like, great, I'm going to do that. But then their their hardwood floors are like cherry. There's a lot of like dark red in there. And then all of a sudden it's doing this color and they're just losing their minds. And so I think it's a really important thing to consider. And and again, just leaning into technology and how far it's come with um, different shades of lighting. And you just imagine standing in that room and sort of toggling the, the temperature of that light to be like okay the green is gone hmm. yeah smart bulbs in your particular okay i'm giving that a go smart bulbs like for you liz because i can see your background and i love your massive book wall that's so amazing but you can see that little tinge of green and it's all that kind of coming in from from outside and sort of reflecting off of your walls mm-hmm. yeah no these are white walls yeah yeah and they look they look like gray green yeah no it's they crazy people look- <laughs> <laughs> well the- you were talking about your beautiful white floors in that bungalow when we started talking. When considering your floor color, I was told, and I don't know if this is correct, you kind of get your cabinet or your base in there, and then you pick the wood color for your floors. How did how do you usually decide on projects that you're picking the actual wood floor color? I would say the floor first and everything okay. around that. You have way more square footage of flooring. It's like the it's like the fifth wall of the house. Mm-hmm. And the impact, the color reflection, everything is going to have a lot more impact than like an area of cabinetry. So I would rather fall in love with my floors, pick my floors, build my foundation, and then from there say, okay, let's say if you're doing a color in, uh, in the kitchen with cabinets, or you're even doing another oak, which would be gorgeous, you may choose to do a slightly warmer, darker um oak color if your floors are lighter so you get a little bit of like separation, which could be really lovely. So I would 100% start with the floors. Hmm. Okay. Okay. But what if you I mean, because when you're building a house, aren't you going to install the wood floors, but they're unfinished and then you're putting the cabinetry on top and then you're finishing it. So. Well, so you would, you could make all your flooring decisions and get everything sampled before they're installed. Okay. So you know what's, yeah, what you're staying. Yep. At. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Because you'd have get to get your whole roadmap. Mm, the roadmap. Got it. Okay. Yep. <laughs> okay, well, speaking of dilemmas, like your wood fl- your floor situation, Taryn, and Liz's green room, I think that we I should... Know. Issues all over. <laughs> I think that we should answer <laughs> Hannah's question that she sent in. And actually, Hannah has some good glow from her massive windows in her house, so we will... Um, I will read it. Um, Okay, so Hannah writes, Hi, ladies. First of all, thank you all so much for the enjoyable and educational podcast. I love listening and have learned so much from all the designers. Thank you. 
We bought a very traditional early 90s style home about a year ago and have done some renovations, mostly paint. It was very much in the red brick, mustard yellow, and very large leather furniture era. I need your advice on the family room. Do I need window treatments for the two big windows? I love drapery and layers, but I also love the natural light. What furniture arrangement do you suggest for this space? What are some other thoughts you have for this room? Thank you so much for all your help and again for your wonderful podcast. And um, just to kind of describe the room, it looks like it's pretty much two solid walls, the third wall being windows, two massive windows with big round um, top. What do we call those? Arch windows under above. They're arch. Palladian windows. Mm -hmm. Transoms? Do we still call that a... Yes. That's what we call them. Yes. With the um, mantle and fireplace between the two. So she has, at the far end, she does have a massive um, big bookcase. And then I'll let you answer from there, Ginger. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, Hannah, first of all, thank you for your questions. Your home is lovely. I love the white paint color that you chose. It's, it's a little darker in our, um, in our images, but I can tell that it's a lovely color. And so let's start with your question about the window treatments. I love this window wall. I love the arched windows, the fireplaces in the middle, talking about symmetry. You've definitely got that going on, uh, but it works so well. What I would say about window treatments is yes, get the texture and the warmth that a window treatment is going to add. And so in this particular case, I would say do um, curtain panels, but not two on each window instead, because what's happening, you've got that fireplace in the middle and those windows tucked up really tightly next to the fireplace. I feel like if you did a curtain panel on each one of the windows on the left side and the right side of the window, it could feel a little like suffocating for the fireplace. So instead, I would recommend hanging your curtain rod above the arch so it's really tall and then just doing, um, just flanking the left side of the window and the right side of the window. So you'll basically have two curtain panels, one on each window, one to the far left, one to the far right. It now adds drama. It's going to draw your eye up and it's going to add loads of texture. And then that way it doesn't, you don't have to be forced into doing two panels per window. So you're cramping the fireplace. Okay. Since it's only one panel, I'm assuming she needs double or maybe even triple width panels, right? Like she needs... If she wants to close them. Yeah. Like how, I mean, I get you that you don't have dimensions of what the of what the window size is, but how wide should she be thinking in terms of... So again, I, I can't tell the width of this window, but just, I mean... Just guessing, I would say at least a double width because you want what happens when you do a single width panel. So for everybody listening, a single width is one curtain panel. Double width is two curtain panels sewn together. So like 50 inches. That's all that it is. And so the double width. 50 would be like a single, Mm -hmm. 50 inches wide would be like a single width-ish. Yes. And so the the double, when it's closed, it adds like so many more layers and texture to the space. It's really pretty. And a lot of times what you see is you, some people will do a single panel on a really big window and it kind of feels like spaghetti noodles. It feels like really wimpy and really thin. And so like, that's where a double width, triple width panel does its magic. And so that's, that's what I would say for this space. Okay. I have a question about the, you're saying hang them above the arches so and then the drapery goes on the outer edges of the windows yes when they're relaxed should they just hang straight and hang cover part of the arch of the window or would you have them tied back at all to do 
she has this is a fairly formal room yeah so what would you, you know, do keeping them i think it depends on on hannah's style i think both could work really well i think if it's like pulled back and it's got that swoop it's going to feel a little bit more formal slightly more elegant but it certainly works in the space if she wants something that feels a little like you said liz more relaxed then i would just keep the, the panel nice and straight and one of the reasons why you want to hang it above the arch and not at the breaking point of where the transom is is because if you hung it right there it's really going to chop that window it's going to draw your eye down and it's going to really take this magnificent architectural feature in the home and sort of kind of, you know, it's going to feel a little wimpy. And so it's going to add a ton of value and kind of drama to the space and to that wall by hanging that window treatment high. Okay. What about the actual curtain hardware, like the rod? Should the rod go the entire width of the window? Or is it okay to have like a little faux rod on the left side? or right side, depending on. What so it, it's a great question. And it depends if you need the functionality, if you are planning on ever like closing these, um, these drapes, then you would want the rod to go all the way across. If you're not, I would just do a small little rod um, on, on the far side of either window to just perch them up there beautifully. Okay. All right. We had, since we're on the topic of window treatments, we had a very, lengthy discussion about drapery pins. Can you give people a little like wisdom around how to actually hang your rod? Like what is the mechanism for hanging your, you know, like a lot of times you might see like a rod pocket or um, ring clips. There are also these things called drapery pins. What is your preference, Ginger, in terms of your clients and, and like the way it's hung? So we, we prefer something um, a little less traditional. I don't like the the grommet. Um, to, that to me, it just reminds me of like the, the the 90s and college dorms. And I just I can't. I don't I don't particularly love the grommet. Also, that that feels like it can fall a little flat and not as textural. I really love the the ring clips. And when they're installed properly, you can completely hide them. And then you get you know they're really easy to use. Um, and I also really prefer like a really lovely pinch pleat because there's also different sort of, you know, pleats, pleats, like a three finger pinch pleat. It feels both um, modern and traditional at the same time. I don't think, you know, I think a lot of us aren't looking for heavy, heavy traditional drapery. And so when you do, let's say a really beautiful, maybe like linen curtain panel, but you do that more sort of like modern traditional pleat, it just gives you like a great mix and balance in the space. That's awesome. And thank you for that, because this is how our marketing meetings digress is that we start talking about drapery panels and how do we <laughs> as you can imagine the scenes at Ballard yeah. this is what happens yeah we yeah. are very I was like I yeah, was part no of this way. combo <laughs> very, um, so before we before we digress I will say another little tip for um for drapery hardware is the the rod there's something called a french return and and basically that it's instead of being just straight across it's straight and then it has an elbow and it bends to return into the wall so that way if you're in a space especially like a bedroom and you want it to be completely you know blocked from the light those french returns work great but i will also say even in a living room where you maybe you don't need to completely block the light they're just beautiful mm -hmm. they're very simple mm -hmm. yeah. well i feel strongly about the drapery pen or it's kind of like the ring clip, but without a clip, because to your point, they, the function is better. Like I'm sure mm -hmm. everyone has either had the, the grommet or the rod pocket where you're like, 
pulling on the the end trying to move it but it it doesn't move very well because it's fabric on metal or (laughs) the weird grommet so I feel like the drapery pin you can get drapery pins on Amazon you use it right at the top it it just it functions better and you want everything to function Mm -hmm. Yes, a thousand percent. Yes. Um, as far as other suggestions for this room, Hannah, you know, you could always consider painting your fireplace mantle. So right now it's, it's white. The walls are white. The, the stone around the fireplace is, um, probably like a, like a cream maybe. So everything's really, you know, soft, which is lovely. I mean, it would work all day long. Uh, but if you wanted to add again, a little bit more kind of drama and some folk, like a folk, true focal point to the room, you could think about painting that fireplace, a dark green, a dark blue, a black, a charcoal, anything to add some sort of weight to that wall, especially when you hang those panels, it's really going to feel very design forward if you did something like that. And then as far as the furniture layout, I, I like what you have going on because you've got the sofa facing the focal point, which is the fireplace and the windows. And so, and then you've got a couple of chairs on one side, uh, which works super great, very functional, a lot of seating. The the thing that I would say on, on the opposite side of the two chairs so that if they're facing each other, you could, instead of doing another chair there, so think about it this way. You've got your couch. On the left side of the couch, you have two chairs. And then on the right side of the couch, you've got an option to do something. I'm One thought would be to do a bench on that side instead of a chair. And it kind of allows for just like this kind of like more open flow. And it's, it's a little more unique. I think it's kind of our go-to to always put chairs on either side of each other, which is totally appropriate. And if you need, if you need the extra seating and your house is hustling and bustling, don't do a bench. <laughs> but if, if, if not, and this is these seats are not constantly filled up, then a bench definitely adds a little unique design element to the space. That's awesome. And her bookcase is so pretty. It's got a little wallpaper in there, which is nice. Mm-hmm. This whole room is really lovely. I feel like the window treatments are yeah. just going to totally transform the space. And then after that, like she yeah. won't do much mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like she should do a solid or a pattern? So that is it's kind of one of those things. I, again, I have hot sports opinions all day long and I am always happy to give them, but I, I can't <laughs> help but pause and say, okay, Hannah, what does your heart gravitate to? Because I could tell you all day long what my heart gravitates towards, but this is your home and both would be so appropriate and work really, really well. Are you wanting sort of a clean, classical, softer look and you want to do some sort of, you know, maybe some soft linen panels, um, do a double width, add all that texture into the space. You're not trying to create like tons of like just drama on that wall. It's more about like adding texture and softness. Then I would say do do a neutral color, a soft taupe, a beige, a cream, a sand, an off-white, anything like that would be really lovely. But that room could also handle a punch of color or some pattern and that would be really stunning as well. But I would say, you know, look through some inspiration photos of, of rooms that are white and bright, just very similar to yours and compare the two. Like, okay, here's some like some pattern curtains with a punch of color and here's the soft monochromatic all about texture look and you know eventually after looking at it your heart's going to gravitate towards one yeah she says i love drapery and and layers so Mm. okay i think that's great advice though like use use pinterest look at lots of rooms see what kind of is speaking to you because either one in this space Mm -hmm. would be yeah and 
And, and two, do you want it to feel more formal or do you want it to feel more relaxed? And a lot of times a pattern can definitely feel just a hair bit more formal. Um, and a, and a, just a neutral curtain can often just feel more relaxed. All right. Hannah, good luck. Please send us after photos. Let us know if you have any other questions. And thank you for listening to the show. We're so glad to have you tune in. Thank you, Ginger, for answering her. Yes. Yeah, Ginger, Mm -hmm. can you tell everyone where to find you, follow you, see your work, pick up your book? Absolutely. So um, we are Urbanology Designs, and our book is called Beauty by Design. And it can be found basically anywhere books are sold. So it's available on Amazon, which is a quick and easy way to purchase it. Uh, We are located in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, but we take projects uh, nationwide. So really anywhere in the country, um, we we can take on a new project. And then um, a great place to follow us and sort of see our work, keep a pulse on what we're doing, and design forward inspiration is our Instagram, which is Urbanology Designs as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Awesome. It was so fun to see your tiny house, your bungalow. And um, yes, <laughs> and your portfolio yes. is beautiful. Everyone check out our website. Yes. It's great to see. Definitely. Well, thank you, ladies. This was fun. I could sit here and talk about design all day long with fabulous women. So this was a so blast. Could we, so could we. <laughs> And that's our show. You can find all of the show notes on our blog, howtodecorate.com slash podcast. To send in a decorating dilemma, email your questions to podcast at ballarddesigns.net so we can help you with your space. And of course, be sure to follow us on social media at Ballard Designs. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Until next time, happy Happy decorating. decorating.